Okay, so the lyrics. I was never bothered about this song until my previous pastor did a study where he made us sit down and work out where in the Bible each line came from, so what the mm. scripture references were. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may sound like overkill, but I actually challenge you to do that. Try it. It's so biblical. And we're back full of the Christmas spirit here at Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Monet Funga. And I'm Cara Devereaux. And this week we're continuing our Christmassy shenanigans with another carol that just about everybody and their dog knows. Hark the herald angels sing. We've got saltiness about people tweaking other people's lyrics. We've got an accidental Christmas song that is maybe not actually about Christmas. And we've got another one of those popular songs that isn't quite as deep and spiritual as it may seem on first appearance. All that and more in a moment. But first, we have an exciting giveaway. Kate from Between Sundays has created an exclusive print featuring the lyrics of Amazing Grace just for our Hempartial family. You can be the lucky owner of this print, but you'll need to be subscribed to our newsletter to enter. Please see our website, hempartial.com, for further details. Giveaway ends on December 31st, 2020. And make sure you go check out Between Sundays by Kate on Instagram to see more of her lovely designs. So let's get into it. I have a confession to make, which is that like a lot of people, it took me ages to realize that it's not Hark the Herald that the angels are singing. It's Hark that the angels who are heralds are singing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But to be fair, that is a better first line than the original um, lyrics. Really? Really, really. But we're going to get to it. So, Hark the Herald was written by Charles Wesley, who is one of my all-time favorite hymn writers. Okay. But we're not going to get into his life because there's so much to cover and so little time. Mm-hmm. Um, all I'll tell you that was that he was ordained and preaching about three years before his actual conversion. Uh-oh. Yeah, uh-oh indeed. <laughs> but you'll have to wait for a Charles Wesley episode before we talk about that. All right. <laughs> Some of Wesley's um, other well-known hymns include Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing and Can It Be and Jesus, Lover of My Soul. Oh, good All ones. Good Great ones. Great ones. Yep. Um, so Hark the Herald is a song that even a lot of non-Christians can sing with their eyes closed or mm. at least, you know, the first verse or so. <laughs> yeah. Most Christmas songs are like that, though. Yeah, I think so. The first verse is the most popular one. Yeah. But, you know, like all things, familiarity can breed contempt. Mm. Um, And it shouldn't, because the song is actually really, really biblical. Yeah. So it was written as a poem to be read on Christmas Day, and he wrote it a year after his actual conversion. Um, And he was inspired by the sound of church bells as he walked through London The original first line was actually, Hark how the welkin rings, glory to the king of kings. Um, Welkin being an old word for heaven. Um, Hmm. So Monet, do you speak old English? Yeah, (laughs) no I don't. I was like, the welkin, what the heck does that mean? Well, me neither. And actually, neither did most people in Wesley's day. Really? Like, they didn't know what that word meant. 
<laughs> it wasn't particularly widely used. Um, so he was kind of be all, being all like, oh, I'm so amazing and poetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously it didn't stick. <laughs> so how did it go from a, a kind of archaic poem to a singable hymn that we're still singing, you know, a couple hundred years later, more mm-hmm. than a couple hundred years later? So enter George Whitfield. Alrighty. Yeah, we like him. And he adapted it in 1753, um, for which I am very grateful. And the bit that makes me smile is that Whitfield never actually asked if he could make any changes, probably because he knew that Charles would say no. Really? For real, for real, yeah. He was a bit sneaky because he just went ahead and edited it and started using it in his evangelistic campaigns. And once it caught in, caught on, there was kind of like nothing that Wesley could do about it. <laughs> Goodness. You just got to, you know, ask for forgiveness instead of permission. <laughs> no, I was going to say, how do you feel about people like changing stuff that you've worked really hard on? You know, I didn't even think of this concept until we started looking into these hymns and seeing people just pick up a hymn and be like, nah, I'm just going to change this verse or like um, our episode on um, how great thou art. Seeing someone just completely rewrite a song just based on their life, life experience. I think it's very bizarre. I would be really offended if someone took something I wrote and then just changed it. But I guess... Maybe these things do happen maybe sometimes after people have died. <laughs> and then maybe also uh, on the other side of the world. I don't know. I think <laughs> well, these guys were actually like proper friends. Really? So it's oh kind of like. Oh. Um, so one of the things you should know about Charles Wesley is that he was one of 19 children. Ooh. Um, only 10 of them survived to adulthood. Hmm. Um but I wondered if maybe that's why he was so funny about people messing with his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, although it was a popular song, apparently Wesley refused to sing the Whitfield version all his life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I probably would too. <laughs> yeah, apparently he could get quite stroppy about people messing with his hymns. Mm-hmm. Um, and his brother, John Wesley, he wrote... Many gentlemen have done my brother and me, though without naming us, the honour of reprinting many of our hymns. Now, they are perfectly welcome to do so, provided that they print them just as they are. But I desire they would not attempt to mend them, for they are really not able. None of them is able to mend either the sense or the verse, and therefore I must beg them one of these two favours. Either let them stand just as they are, or take them for better and worse or add to the true meaning in the margin or at the bottom of the page that we may no longer be accountable either for the nonsense or the doggerel of other men. <laughs> hey, you know what? You you got to put it out there. Look, this sure, you could take the song and change it, but say that it is not us who wrote it because you are the one who butchered this. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, do you think, do you think he felt strongly about that at yeah all. then you felt <laughs> a little strongly about it <laughs> i mean they, they remained friends with whitfield so i think maybe it was kind of like that's really annoying but it's not worth sacrificing friendship over mm. and they did the wesleys did print a similar version to that of whitfield's in their 1780 hymn book so i guess they didn't mind that much mm. 
so we come to the tune. Wesley insisted that it be paired with a slower, more somber tune than the one we have today. Um, but once it was given the tune that we now know, that's when it took off. Um, yeah, so it's amazing what, you know, a change in music can do for him. I mean, we say it all the time. The song, these aren't poems, right? They might have started as poems, but, you know, we're not called poem partial. Like the music actually matters quite significantly to the experience and the spread of the hymn. So, yeah, clearly it needed a better tune and that's when it took off. (laughs) I find it funny that this is a really famous hymn, but the guy who wrote it was not helpful at all in making that happen. (laughs) He was just like, I'm going to use old words nobody understands yeah. and a really sad tune to this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Artists. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's that creative temperament. Yeah. So the current tune for the carol was composed by Mendelssohn, who's mm. like a classic composer. I think mm. there's going to be someone out there that's going to at me about how he wasn't classic. He was like Baroque or something. But sure. <laughs> broadly classical. Um. So Mendelssohn was a messianic Jew. Okay. Fun fact. Mm-hmm. And this song is the second chorus of a cantata that he wrote in 1840, which was post-Wesley. So it was originally written to commemorate Johann Gutenberg, who invented the printing press, which was arguably invented earlier, but you can talk to me about that later. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Mendelssohn was very firm about his music how it was to be used it was to be purely secular oh interesting yeah but in 1856 um, after Wesley and Mendelssohn had passed away I think um, a guy called Dr. William Cummings ignored both their wishes and joined Wesley's lyrics to Mendelssohn's tune Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, we have the modern version of this beautiful gospel-centered carol, and we've been singing it ever since. But the use of Mendelssohn's tune did mean that where the verses had previously been shorter, they'd been doubled up into okay. eight-line verses. And oh. then he had to add the little refrain. You know, it's like, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, oh. that you sing at the end of every verse. Okay. I was like, what refrain? And then I was like, oh yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't think about it. No, um, no. It just feels like that's the verse. That's the whole verse from beginning to end. But yeah, obviously. Yeah, that was added just to make it all fit into the into the song. Um, it kind of makes you wonder what Mendelssohn and Wesley would have thought if they knew... Because um, both of them were very particular about how to use their stuff and people were just like ignoring them. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like, I don't think they care now. <laughs> All of those little partic- particularities, uh, they don't really make big a difference when you're in glory with the Lord. <laughs> you're like, what song did I write? I don't remember. <laughs> I'll be singing a new song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, Okay, so the lyrics. I was never bothered about this song until my previous pastor did a study where he made us sit down and work out where in the Bible each line came from. So what the scripture references were. Mm -hmm. Um, And it may sound like overkill, but I actually challenge you to do that. Try it. It's so biblical. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So the first line references Luke 2.14. If you could read that, Monet, that'd be really cool. Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Yep. And then in the last verse where it talks about the desire of nations, that's from Haggai 2.7, which says, And I will shake all the nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Um, and then the son of righteousness and other lines in that verse, that comes from Malachi 4. Um, yes, Malachi 4, two, verses 2 to 3. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So you can kind of like, if you read the read these verses and, and read the, the lyrics of the hymn, you can kind of hear where all this is coming from. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I really love about this hymn is that it's not just about what happened at Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's about why it had to happen. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's just, it's just a really lovely hymn. Mm -hmm. um, and these are just short episodes. So we're not going to go like super in depth, but I just want to encourage you, like if you have some time this Christmas, sit down and have the lyrics in front of you and work through them, jotting down the various references to scripture that you can think of. It's really encouraging. Yeah. But before we move on, I'd just like to read you the lyrics. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the version in Christian hymns because there's still like a little bit of variance mm -hmm. even now. So it goes, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful, all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more should die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us second birth. Come, desire of nations, come, fix in us thy humble home, rise the woman's conquering seed, bruising us the serpent's head. Now display thy saving power, ruined nature now restore. Now in mystic union join, thine to ours and ours to thine. Yeah, I love those. I love this. I really love this song. It's so biblical, like you said. And there's a theme here. Uh, the songs that we're talking about this season. Um, when they talk about why Jesus was born, I feel like that gives us more reason to praise. Every child being born is a miracle. It's miraculous. Christ being born to a virgin is uh, prophecy fulfilled, but also miraculous. But him being born is not, that's not why we're celebrating. It's why. And this song just really gives you so much depth, so much to 
sing out loud about. And I think that's why it's definitely a favorite of mine to sing at Christmas. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to just kind of become complacent about this one because we just hear it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the one thing they choirs are singing in the background in movies and yeah. stuff. You just you don't even notice it anymore. Yeah. Um, but it is a really underrated um, hymn, which brings me joy, which brings me to <laughs> joy to the world. Joy to the world. Yeah, we're looking at this one today as well. Um, it's all the Christmas favourites today. Mm. <laughs> um, so we just had Charles Wesley and now we have Isaac Watts back with his lyrical genius. Oh, bobblehead Watts. <laughs> oh, bobblehead Watts. <laughs> I can just imagine him in a Santa hat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Joy to the World is an excellent song as well. Mm-hmm. Um it's actually one of the most published Christmas carols in America. Nice. And apparently I discovered there are these things called praise charts, which I guess is like, I don't know, Top of the Pops or whatever the modern version of Top of the Pops is. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Christians and every single year, Joy to the World is on it. I mean, come on. You can't. Yeah. You can't beat it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're getting things like, reckless love and stuff coming on and off but joy to the world is there and it's solid every year goodness every year don't get us started on reckless love let's not (laughs) we're not going to talk about that we're just going to pretend it doesn't exist (laughs) so (laughs) joy to the world is so popular that it's a staple even on secular christmas albums like it has a club mix what (laughs) i know i mean what and it's been mashed up with mariah carey's hit all i want for christmas is you oh no it's kind of funny though when you think about it it's Uh, about jesus coming and it's like all i want for christmas is you i guess sure i'll give it a c (laughs) minus i haven't even heard it (laughs) you're more generous than me i would have given it an f (laughs) um (laughs) Anyway, Monet, do you want to read us the lyrics? It's just four short verses. Oh, yes. Joyfully. I will do it joyfully. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth. The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world in truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Isn't it great? I love it. So some people cut the verse that says far as the curse is found because like we don't like all that nasty sin and judgment stuff because Christmas is a season of love. (laughs) (laughs) Sticky and icky. Um, I do have something really awkward to tell you though. What might it be, Kara? I'm really sorry, but that song you just read, Mm -hmm. it's not a Christmas song. (gasps) Tell me how... So we always think it is because of the joy bit and like the earth receiving her king bit and the making room in our hearts sort of thing. Yeah. Um, 
But this song is actually talking about Christ coming the second time. That is right. It it kind of alludes to the Christmas story, but it's looking forward more than it's looking back. Um, Fun fact, we actually sang this a few weeks ago, not at Christmas time, (laughs) uh, because uh, we were talking about the second coming. So we sang Church of the World. This might be maybe like a month and a half ago, actually. But yeah. I like it so much I'd sing it all year. Yeah. And that's not just why we're saying that it's not a Christmas song. It's not just <laughs> so that we can listen to it all year round. <laughs> um, no one's entirely sure why we sing it at Christmas, though. But it was suggested that it was because it was published around Christmas. And it became a favorite really really fast it kind Mm -hmm. of soared in popularity Mm -hmm. so it's just kind of like associated with that time of year um Mm. but it wasn't actually written as a hymn lowell mason who we've mentioned before the guy that writes hymn tunes he keeps popping up yeah um he came across it as a poem Mm -hmm. and he kind of wanted to write a tune to it so he kind of pulled bits and pieces from Handel's Messiah and created a sort of Frankenstein tune from that nice um which is the tune we now know I actually read um this really tickled me once I got over the annoyance (laughs) somewhere I can't remember where I read it but this person was talking about the Lowell Mason tune and they said that it is actually, and I quote, virtually unknown in Great Britain. What? They claimed that nobody, in, basically nobody in the UK sings the Lowell Mason tune. And I couldn't, like, I had to look it up because I was like, I'm sure we do. Um, and I looked it up and it started playing. And the minute I heard like, da, 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 I was like, yeah, this person's talking rubbish. What in the world? I'm so confused. I was like, is this a trick? <laughs> no, I was just reading this and I, I got really confused. And I was like, come on, there's only one tune to this song. Like, Yeah. But the yeah. tune. <laughs> so for American friends, we sing Joy to the World to the actual tune. Like we have heard of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so strange. It is common meter, though, so we could sing it to Amazing Grace if we really wanted to. Ooh, interesting. We're not gonna, though. No, we'll stick with the real tune. Yeah. Anyway, so I love this song, and I think that we should do a whole episode on it sometime. Not at Christmas, because we don't have to now. We don't have to. We could do it any time of the year. June. June 31st. Wait, does June have 31st? 31 days in it? 30 days has September, April, June. No, it doesn't. (laughs) June 30th. I don't know. I just said a random date that popped in my head and June 31st, a non-existent date came to my mind. March 37th. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we should do do a full episode on this because it's great and I love it. And I hereby propose that we shouldn't be singing it at Christmas. We should be singing it the whole year through. Um, Because it's upbeat. It's a hopeful song about the liberation of creation from the pain of sin and death. And it's about the king coming to make all things new. And that should fill you with joy. Amen. And it definitely, definitely does. But you know, while we're talking about joy, (laughs) it brings me no joy to talk about this next song. Or at least say what I'm about to say about this next song. Um, We talked, we alluded to maybe a song being not as spiritual as you thought. 
Well, that song we were talking about is Mary Did You Know? (laughs) So this song actually isn't that old. It was written in 1984 by Mark Lowry. Um, and the music didn't come until 1991. I'm not quite sure how that worked out. Maybe someone recomposed it, but the music was written by Buddy Green. And the song has received a lot of commercial success, uh, being recorded by several big name artists. Um, Kenny Rogers and Winona Judd recorded this song in 1997. It peaked at number 55 on the U.S. Hot Country Songs Billboard. The thing. Country um, songs. Country songs. Because Kenny Rogers and Winona Judd, they're like country singers. I know. I, I just never thought of it as a country song. Well, they made it country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Clay Aiken, famous for um, American Idol fame, uh, he recorded it in 2004. Uh, CeeLo Green, um, whose most famous song I'm not allowed to say on the show. <laughs> He recorded this in 2014, uh, where it peaked at number nine on the U.S. Billboard Hot R&B songs. And Pentatonix, who I admittedly really love, recorded this also in 2014, and it ranked in the top 50 songs in the U.S., Austria, Canada, and Hungary, uh, the highest of which was in the U.S. It peaked at number 26 on the Billboard Hot 100. We're going to find that pentatonics have had more than one of the hymns we talk about as yes. like hits. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah, many, many other artists have recorded this as well. There was even a stage musical written based on the song in 1999. Um, and that apparently won a Dove Award. Uh, and if you don't know what the Dove Awards are, they're like a Christian music. They're like the Christian Grammys, basically. Yeah, but they're kind of like... Um, vaguely Christian is not like yeah, yeah Christian-ish it's very mixed yeah it's mixed suffice it to say it's a fairly new and fairly popular song um, but it's not at all biblical in fact this is not even an outlier criticism just to remind you the song consists of rhetorical questions aimed at Mary the mother of Jesus The singer is asking her if she knew of all the magnificent things her son was going to do. And did she really know that in her room was the great I am God? Um, It's meant to be a song like to reflect on Mary's role in like the birth of Jesus. And I guess it's it's supposed to be profound. And I'm not hating on this song. I, I actually really enjoy the melody and it's a very fun song to sing. And I like the pentatonics version and all that. But the question is, did Mary really know? <laughs> um, well, the answer is yes. Yes, she knew. Uh, we see this particular... What did you say? Sorry. I was just going to say, I think the angel turning up and going, God's giving you a baby and it's going to be the Messiah is like, this is like a little bit of a giveaway that yeah. maybe... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you, you are know exactly where I'm going with this. The Gospel of Luke where we get the most details about the birth narrative of Christ, you see this. So I'm just actually going to read a big chunk of scripture because I think that's really more important than anything I have to say. So in Luke chapter one, verses 26 to 33, we, we read in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph 
of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So I don't know if you picked that up, but these are all the roles of God. And it's very explicit. He's not vague at all. He's just like, yep, he's going to have the throne of David, like, you know, reign over the house of Jacob. Like these are all these prophecies being fulfilled. He will be great. He will be the most high. These are all the way Jews would speak of God. There's no ambiguity. Ooh, I can't even say that word. Um, And her response, Mary's response is, verse 38, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. (laughs) So if you're not convinced by that, later, Mary is visited by her cousin, who is also pregnant. And her cousin was like, whoa, my baby just leapt in my womb. And her cousin, Elizabeth, says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, this is God, should come to me, right? This is what, this is what her cousin says to her. And Mary replies with, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 she doesn't. She goes into what is called the Magnificat. She basically bursts into song, praising the Lord. In verse 47, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Um, so, I mean, she knew guys, (laughs) she knew, um, could she see the future? No, she couldn't see every single thing Jesus was going to do, but she knew the, the burden that she was bearing and she was told explicitly by the angels. And she obviously responded in affirmation and praise that this was happening to her. Now, we can talk honestly about this being rubbish theologically, but like I said, I do really love this song. In fact, this morning as we were getting ready, like for the show, I was like humming it and singing it. And I got like my husband singing the song um, and the Pentatonix version is really, really good. Uh, That's my favorite version of all of them. It's it's, just incredible. It really is. It's really, really good. Um, All I'm saying is we should know that what we're singing about uh, is sentimental and it's about things that aren't like really theologically supported in scripture. It's kind of like, Oh Mary, did you know that this was that? Well, we yes, could, she knew. We could try changing it to Israel. Did you know? Cause they totally <laughs> didn't. <laughs> <laughs> or like Mary, isn't it crazy that your baby boy, <laughs> you know, like if we ask the oh, question, it would the, fit if you said Mary ain't it nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Change your proof. (laughs) (laughs) So did you have any uh, thoughts on that, on that uh, Christmas fave? 
Yeah, like you say, um, musically, I really like this song. Mm -hmm. Um, I really, really like the pentatonics version of it. Um, Just, I would just say that it's probably not one, again, that I would sing in church, but it is one that I will be keeping on my Christmas list. It's just good to be aware Mm -hmm. um, that the answer is yes, (laughs) she did. Um, But it's a nice song. And I think it's important too, we won't get into this, we won't, I promise, but it, I think t- a takeaway thought is how much bad theology creeps into the church because of poor, poorly written hymns or poorly written carols or poorly written whatever, you know, um, self-help books, <laughs> I digress. Uh, and And because of the popularity of this song, it's so, so popular, you know, Christians might hear this and think oh Mary was just like she wasn't in on it like she didn't know like you know because they're not getting their theology from scripture they're they're hearing this popular song and you'd be amazed like it's not even to say folks who don't pick up their bible I think folks who do pick up their bible might be like wait a minute what and they like have to hopefully it it draws you back to the passage and you're like oh wait that's that's wrong but it is easy for a lot of error to creep in um and because the song's just so darn catchy and so fun to sing, it's even harder to differentiate like what is theologically pants <laughs> versus what is solid and, and biblical and worthy of our praise and song. So just a few thoughts on that song. Yeah, thanks, Monet. Um, I think that about wraps up. Oh, so I did there with a little bow, put it under the Christmas tree. Anyway, yeah, it wraps up another episode of Christmas Hymn Partial. Don't forget that you can still enter our giveaway at hymnpartial.com. Um, the giveaway ends December 31st, so there's still time to hurry on over. Um, but until next week, may the Lord bless and keep you. Bye. Bye.